you, brother. Sorry. Hey, good morning. Good morning. Hey, turn with me to Exodus. We're continuing our study in the book of Exodus, chapter 34. Hey, even before we get started on that, and I'll, I'll, not, I'll try not to go rabbit trail and squirrel on you this morning. But I do want to say this morning, uh, just as a testimony to God's goodness, last week uh, I made it known to the church body about a, a family that we were connected to in, in Guam who had suffered catastrophic loss uh, due to the super typhoon Mawar that had gone through Guam. Uh, you may have gone home and looked some of that information up. It was devastating destruction down there. It was just horrible. But, amen, we put it out there, right, uh, to love on our sister and to love on our sister's family. And last week the church was able to send to her family uh, $4,000 uh, of support. That's, uh, that's not rebuilding a home. That's not rebuilding a life. But what that says to this family is that God sees you all the way Amen. from Elizabethtown, Kentucky. Amen. And we're not the only ones who are parceling out the grace, the mercy, and provision of God. Other churches are doing the same. So as long as we're faithful to the call of God upon the responsibility of the church to do and be faithful over the means that he's given us, believe me, God will see to it that the gap is closed by other bodies around this world. We're not the church. We're part of the church. Amen? It's a much bigger picture. And so I just wanted to bless you and say thank you for your generosity. And I know that family is extremely grateful this morning. Amen? Amen. 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 Okay, listen. Uh, Exodus, uh, we, you know, uh, we're in chapter 34. We're actually going to close chapter 34. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, man, Trent, that's a whole lot of Scripture. And the rate in which you travel through Scripture, man, we'll be here till sometime tonight. Right? <laughs> Well, that's not, that's, well, no, no, brother. <laughs> We're not wanting to brutalize anybody. But, but at the same time, we want to share the goodness of God's word, right? Now, there's going to be a portion of the scripture that we're going to read through because we have already covered this, right? We work through the scripture. We work through the Bible verse by verse. And we're, we're wanting to paint this beautiful image of God. Not an image of our own creation, but an image that is being revealed in the scriptures. And when we study the Old Testament, we look at the New Testament, there is what I, what I said to uh, uh, Dan one day. I said, there is a rhythm to the Scripture. There's a rhythm to it. And the rhythm is maintained uh, from Genesis to Revelations. This, this, the continuity and the flow, this tapestry, the weaving of the identity of God being revealed to us throughout all the Scripture. It doesn't change. It, it's the same. And so... Our job is to open up God's Word and not create something out of that, but just open it up and reveal what is in there. And I think if we see the image of God that the Scripture paints for us, it'll move all of us, all of us to a place of a greater understanding and a shift in our lives. Amen? Nothing else does that. Nothing else does that. And so that's what we want to do this morning. We want to continue this study uh, in, in the book of uh, Exodus chapter 34. Uh, we know the story, this, uh, this, this, this portion of the scripture. God is reestablishing his covenant after the great moral and spiritual failure of, uh, of the people of Israel, right? At the base of Mount Sinai, when they had created the, 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 the golden uh, calf, right? And the worship of that. And then the discipline of God, everything that followed. Now God is wanting to uh, move his children forward. And in so doing, he's laying the groundwork. And this is a beautiful image of grace that God has created and painted here. He's laying the groundwork for them to move forward with this covenant not compromised. Right? Now, there's a lot of groundwork that has to be laid prior to them moving forward. And so, we're in this. So, last week, there was a couple of things as God began to reveal His grace and His mercy. There's a couple of things we saw in the Scripture that just kind of jumped out at us. When, when God revealed Himself, one of the first things you saw in Moses' response to the revelation of God's grace and mercy was that Moses worshipped. That's what the Scripture says. Not only did Moses worship, Moses then confessed. He said the people are hard, are stiff-necked, right? That's what he said. And then he said, forgive us our wickedness. He owned it. 
No, he was included in that group. Forgive us our sin. So that's what the grace of God does. The grace of God moves us into worship. Worship then exposes us to our own deficiencies, right? There's nothing that makes you feel less clean than when you raise your hands and you worship a perfect God and his radiance exposes us in all of our deficiencies which then brings us to a place of humility that desires, right? It, it, it then becomes a callous to desire more of him and less of this thing that I see in myself, right? And so all of that's kind of unfolding last week. And then God said something to Moses and this is so beautiful. And I, and I say this to you guys because I believe this to be true. He said that he would do wonders. He would do wonders in and through them, right, that have never been seen. Right? That's pretty, that's a pre, Mike Dinsey, that's a pretty powerful statement when God says, I'm going to do things in your life that's never been seen. Some of you guys live 40, 50, 60 years in the Lord, right? Maybe 70 years in the Lord. I don't, I don't know. And to think that God would make a declaration at this point in your life and say to you, in this mature uh, place in your life, I'm going to do things in your life that you've never seen, that others have never seen. Man, you're talking about energizing. That can be energizing, and it can be scary, right? It can be scary. And then God said this. He said, and the world will see the work the Lord will do for Israel. I, the Lord, will do. And he, he makes that pretty clear. It is his power at work in them that's bringing about these beautiful things, Marissa. It isn't our goodness. It isn't any of those. It's his goodness, you know, that, that brings this stuff about, man. It's, it's, I mean, if that doesn't spiritually turn you on, man, there's not a lot I can do for you this morning, you know, other than to, to reveal God's word. To, hey, man, this is who he is. Man, if that don't turn you, man, if that, if that doesn't move you, Nothing I can do, right? But then at the end of the, the scripture we studied last week, verses 15 through 16, because we covered 8 through 16, there was, there was this um, statement that he makes, and it's a warning, and it's about this process of the decaying process of compromise, remember? So what we're going to do is we're going to read those few verses, those couple of verses that helps us transition into today's scripture, okay? You with me? It's in Exodus chapter 34, verse 15 and 16. This is what he says. Be careful to not, or be careful not to make a treaty. That's the warning. Do not compromise with those who live in the land, for when they prostitute themselves to their gods and sacrifice to them, they will invite you. Watch this, watch this decay, this slow decline. They will invite you and you will eat their sacrifices. You know what God was saying? You will. I know you. I know. I've just seen you. And I know the propensity and the tendencies for you to embrace uh, 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 unfaithfulness. And he says this. He says, you will eat their sacrifices. Listen to this. And it's not just you. Your compromise will then create a compromise that can be generational. Right? And he says this. And when you choose some of their daughters as wives for your sons, and those daughters prostitute themselves to their gods, they will lead your sons to do the same. Right? Wow. That's pretty heavy stuff, right? That's pretty heavy stuff. Now we're transitioning. And so what we're going to do is we're going to pray that I would not get in the way of what God is wanting to say in this scripture today. Okay? That's, we don't want to do that. And so let, let's pray. You pray for me. I'll pray for me. It, it will desire that God would do something really sweet and beautiful this morning. Amen. All right. Father, in Jesus' name, we come before you this morning as brothers and sisters in Jesus who desire to hear a clear word from you, who want, Lord, who want to be changed, shaped, and molded, uh, and altered. We want to be able to leave here saying that the word of God has, has somehow touched us in a way that it has shifted our thinking and our, our motivations and our intentions. Lord, we want to see you more clearly. Oh, God, spare my brothers and sisters from, from any, 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 
any stumbling blocks I may present, Lord, in, 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 the, in, in, the, in my own inadequacies and, and trying to communicate, Lord, the, the flawed speech and, and the stammering and stuttering lips and tongue, Lord, speak through me today, Lord, as a vessel that is surrendered to you who does not want to steal glory from you but wants to present to his brothers and sisters you, Lord, and it's in the sweet and precious name of Jesus we pray and we ask these things in the sons and daughters of God in Jesus' name said amen. 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 Okay, let's, let's flip this over. Now we're going to read through this, okay? We're going to read several verses here. Matter of fact, we're going to read verses 17 through 26. When we read these, what you're going to recognize is that we have covered every one of these individually through this study. So out of the fear of redundance, I would say to you, if you want to hear each of these verses covered, which have already been covered, you can pull up the podcast and do that. Okay? You with me? You understand? Once we read these verses, it will spark a, 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 a remembrance of what we've already studied. Okay? So let's look at these verses. Now it's important that these things are being said again. And when we get to that point, we will see how clearly it is, okay? All right, let's look at this. Let's look at this. All right, it says right here in verse 17, Do not make any idols. Celebrate the festival of unleavened bread for seven days. Eat bread made without yeast as I commanded you. Do this at the appointed time in the month of Aviv, for in that month you came out of Egypt. Some of y'all remember this, right? Jay, you remember this, don't you, brother? The first offspring of every womb belongs to me, including all the firstborn males of your livestock, whether from herd or flock. Redeem the firstborn donkey with a lamb, but if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Redeem all your firstborn sons. Remember this? If you don't, look it up. We studied it in, in, to an in-depth level. No one is to appear before me empty-handed. Brooke, I know, remembers that. She remembers the story of the ashtray. There is a picture drawn on my refrigerator of that very scripture. So if no one else understands what that means, go to Brooke. That's her on the front row. She'll tell you. You'll have to listen to the podcast, right? And she may even paint you or draw you the same picture. Six days you shall labor, but on the seventh day you shall rest, even during the plowing season and harvest you must rest. Celebrate the festival of weeks where the first fruits of the wheat are, harvest, and the festival of ingathering at the turn of the year. Three times a year all your men are to appear before the sovereign Lord, the God of Israel. Man, I will drive out nations before you and enlarge your territory, and no one will covet your land when you go up three times each year to appear before the Lord your God. You know what he was saying? When the men come up here, I'm going to protect those left behind, which the men would have protected. That's what he's saying, basically. Don't worry about your family. I've got them covered. And some of you need to, let me reiterate that. Some of you need to know that this morning. Mom and dad, prodigal sons, prodigal daughters, you're honoring God in your life, you're pursuing God, but you're wondering and you're, you're concerned about the home front. I say to you, if you're faithful to God to minister and to live out the assignment he's given you in covering the families of other people that are strangers to you, Believe me, God's got someone just like you covering your family like you're covering other families, right? Many of you know this to be true. When your own children were out of your reach, you were reaching into the lives of other kids while other people were reaching into the lives of your children. Okay, 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 we'll move on. We'll move on, all right? And this, then he says, do not... Offer the blood of a sacrifice to me along with anything containing yeast. And do not let any of the sacrifice from the Passover festival remain until morning. All of that was explained. Bring the best of the first fruits of your soul to the house of the Lord your God. Now listen to this. This is the one. You, you have to remember this. And do not cook young goats in its mother's milk. Y'all remember when we covered that? All right. Still available. Podcast. Episode whichever. It's there. All right, now we're going to open this up. We're going to read through this, okay? 
We're going to study through this. You're like, Trent, we're going to cover every bit? No. But we are going to start at the very first verse, and then we're going to kind of summarize what's taking place there, having already covered it, right? Everybody tracking with me? Everybody on the same page? No one's lost yet. Yet. If you're lost, raise your hand, and I'll wave at you. That's about all I can do. i got to get through this, right? The Scripture says in Exodus 34, verse 17, do not make any idols. That's where he starts off right off the bat, right? He starts off right off. Now listen, this entire season of disobedience, this entire season of discipline, everything that is taking place in, in chapter 33 and in chapter 34 stems from them rejecting this principle, Right? In Exodus chapter 20, verse 3 and 4, the first two commands are given, and this basically summarizes those first two commandments. And they violated them, Kevin. And the first two commandments are simple, right? You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. Right? Right? Now, every other thing that proceeds or, or follows this, right, everything that follows this, we have covered from Exodus chapter 20 to Exodus chapter 23, every bit of this, right? But this is the important thing of this scripture. Why is God once again reiterating everything that he has already spoken to his people? Why is he saying it again? Why is it important? It is important for this very reason. God is reestablishing the, the, the validity of his covenant and he's reminding them that the standard has not changed. You've got to get this. God desires a relationship with you, but the desire for a relationship with you does not exceed the standards of God. He will not compromise his standards to be in a relationship with you. He brings back to the Jewish people the very things that he started with, the very commands that he had given at the very beginning and established a covenant initially, and he comes back upon reestablishing the covenant, and he says, it's the same thing. I'm not compromising. Compliance, compliance rests on our side of the covenant. God establishes this. We must comply. Now, we live in this distorted era within the church where people are saying, I'm following Jesus not based upon the standards of the Scripture or the standards of what Jesus has declared, but I'm following Jesus based on my standards. And I would say to those who would make such claims, then you're not following Jesus at all. That's just the truth. Right? You understand what I'm saying. This isn't some epiphany. This isn't some spirit. This is just... The basic, basic Christian tenets. We are called to follow Jesus, right? To follow by the standards of Jesus, right? Mm. The Apostle Paul said this in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19. We're talking about the standards of God. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm. And he says... And the Lord knows those who are his. And he says, everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from where. This is, this is not optional. I, man, I, I don't, listen, I got to be honest. I got to be honest. If this grades against you, nothing I can do about it. You know why? It's not my standard to change. If I say I follow Jesus and I believe in the inerrancy of the Scripture and the sovereignty of God, I have to cling to this stuff. Whether or not it, 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 it's smooth with you or not is irrelevant. The standard can't be changed, right? Now, Jay, being a sports historian, and many of you will, will understand this, Roger Bannister. How many people know who Roger Bannister is? Jay Chase, Doug, okay, all right. <clears throat> Roger Bannister, the first man ever to break the four-minute mile. Did y'all know that? Now, I'm going to tell you how fast he ran that first, when he first broke the four-minute mile. He ran it three minutes, 59 and a half seconds. A three- or four-minute mile. 
sub four minute mile. First man ever to do it recorded in human history. Now, I would debate that. I, I know some cats in the Old Testament that probably covered a greater distance at a shorter time. But there wasn't anybody there keeping the clock. Right? We know it to be true. Right? Roger Bannister. Now, in that moment, no one having uh, ran and been timed for a sub four-minute mile, you can imagine him celebrating breaking the four-minute mile. Right? Right? You, you get that. The four-minute mile had a standard, though. For him to accomplish that objective, he would have to run a sub four minute, what? 5,280 feet, right? That is a mile. You say, Trent, how do you know that's a mile? Well, I've been watching the Denver Nuggets game. You see that mile high? You see that on the floor? Ah, never mind. All right, 5,280 feet. That was the standard. So when he met the standard, achieved the time, it was something worthy to celebrate. Now, what if Roger Bannister said, I ran a sub four-minute mile, a sub four-minute mile of 4,280 feet. How many people do you think would stand up and celebrate with Roger Bannister? Absolutely zero. Why is that? Because his claim is invalid. There is no such thing as a 4,280-foot mile. The mile had been determined. The standard had been set. There was no celebrating anything less than that. The standard of God is established. It can't be, it can't be made less. It can't be made more. It is the standard. And we in the church have tried to do both. We have tried to undermine the standard and then we have tried to uh, bloat the standard and, and put requirements on people that the scripture had never required. We've, we have sinned on both sides of the standard. You know, if you do not understand the standard, you'll find yourself coming short and you'll find yourself being overweighed with unnecessary things that the standard does not require. Right? And so he goes over every bit of these things and he's establishing, listen, I don't change. You're with me, right? Amen. You're with me. Okay, so, so we're, 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 moving, we're moving on. But let me say this to you, and I want you to get this. I want you to get this. If God were to change his standard, he would have to do so in loving us less. The standard, understand this, the standard is to your benefit. The, st the standard is not changing God. It's enhancing your experience. It's enhancing your relationship. It's enhancing your life. And for him to lower the standard, right, For him to would, would be for him to love you less than he can. Okay. Okay, let's, let's look right here. We're going, we're going to comb through this scripture right here because there, there's a little confusion in this next scripture. And so I, I, it's not a great confusion. It's kind of simple. When you read it contextually with the entire chapter, it kind of, it kind of uh, uh, just moves the confusion right out of the way and you see it much more clear, okay? So this is what he says then. Then the Lord said to Moses, watch this, write down these words for in accordance with these words I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. Now listen, break. Moses was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights without eating bread or drinking water. Break. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Let me tell you what that scripture is not saying. The scripture is not saying Moses wrote on the tablets the Ten Commandments. You understand that, right? That's not, Moses isn't the antecedent in that scripture. God, the Lord, is the antecedent. Now, I want you to understand a few things because when we go to the first trip of Mount Sinai, listen to this. In Exodus chapter 24, verse 3 and 4, the scripture says this. When Moses went and told the people of the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice, everything the Lord had said we will do. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. This is the first trip. And then in verse 7, then he took the book of the covenant, the book of the covenant, which was what the Lord had said that Moses had written down, Right? Then he took the book of the covenant, read it to the people, and they responded, we will do everything the Lord has said, we will obey. 
the second trip. Listen, there, are, there is the book of the covenant. There are no tablets with the commands, the Decalogue, the words of God. None of that's come about yet. And then let's move down to second trip. 24 verse 12. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me to, on the mountain and stay here and I will give you the tablets of stone. Different ballgame. With the law and the commandments I have written. I have written for their instructions. All right? And then in Exodus 31, 18, this is what the scripture says. When the Lord finished speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him the two tablets of the covenant law, the tablets of stone inscribed by the finger of God. Understand he's given him the covenant law, not the book of the covenant, the covenant law inscribed on the stones. Two different Moments, two different situations. The book of the covenant, which Moses wrote down, he comes back up the second time and he retrieves the tablets, which have the Decalogue on them, the Ten Commandments. Are you with me? You need to understand this. So when this some jackass comes up to you and says, Hey man, there's some contradictions in the scripture. It says in this verse, in this verse, uh, one, one moment says God wrote it, and the next time it says uh, Moses wrote it. You've got to be able to understand and discern the Word of God to be able to look at that individual from a position of apologetics and say, no, 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 you misunderstand the Scripture. It is incumbent upon us to have a firm grasp of what the Scripture says. Right? Amen. Trent, you offended me by using jackass. Well, guess what? That's a, a bloated standard. Offend yourself. All right. Now listen. Listen to what the Scripture says. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Write down these words, for in accordance with these words I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. He's rewriting the book of the covenant. Why is that? Well, the first time it was written, guess what happened? They didn't adhere to it. I'm reestablishing this covenant, and I want them to know in writing it is the same. Right? You get this? And then the scripture says this. Moses was there with the Lord 40 days, 40 nights without eating bread or drinking water. That in itself is supernatural. I don't know how many of you have gone 40 days without eating. Anybody here gone 40 days without eating unless you were in a coma? All right. Anybody here gone 40 days without drinking? Yeah, I didn't think so. You can understand the supernatural expression that Moses encountered on this mountain, right? Yeah. This is supernatural. There's supernatural things happening up here, right? And then the scripture says, and he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant of the Ten Commandments. Words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments, or the Decalogue. Now listen, this should not be confusing. Moses writing this, this, these words written in Exodus, authored by God, written by Moses, clearly, clearly states that it wasn't Moses who wrote on the second set of tablets. Moses didn't think this was going to be confusing. Moses makes it very clear in Exodus 34, verse 1, when he says, And the Lord said to Moses, Chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Can you imagine Moses looking into the modern church and saying, you find this scripture confusing? Why? Didn't you, did you not read what I wrote up here? I clarified it. It's God who wrote these things. The authority remains. Can you imagine, and I've said this many times, if Moses is the one engraving that, if a man engraves the Decalogue, man, that could be so easily rejected, couldn't it? Isn't that what the church, you know, the kind of the progressive church does nowadays? We, they undermine the authority of the scripture and say, well, men wrote that. And God's making it very clear, no, 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 no. I will write that. That will be engraved by my finger. Right? Now, here's the incredible thing about it. This isn't the second time Moses has been gone for 40 days, 40 nights, right? Remember the first time? Remember the first time, what did it lead to? It led to full-blown rebellion, debauchery, and discipline. Remember that? And you remember, do you remember what it was all predicated on? You remember the statement that they had made? We don't know what happened to this Moses. So Aaron, make for us a God that we can follow. Forge for us a God out of gold, out of the fire. Remember that? Because we don't know what's happened to this Moses. All of a sudden things shift. Moses gone the same amount of time. Receiving the same information. But guess what doesn't happen? The 
no debauchery. There's no rebellion. They're waiting now. They're waiting now. You think they didn't learn a lesson? Let me ask this of you. Have you learned the lesson? (laughs) Have you learned the lesson? The waiting lesson? Have you learned that? They've learned it. They learned it. Let's move on. We're going to be closing in these few verses. And to my brothers who are visitors, we're sort of closing. And those of you know, know, right? Okay, Exodus 34, verse 29 through 32. It says, when Moses came down from, from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When... <laughs> When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him, and he spoke to them. Afterwards, all the Israelites came near him, and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. You see right here in this scripture, there's this cause and effect thing. The cause was he had spoken with the Lord. The effect was the radiance of God. The incredible thing about it was everyone else saw it, but Moses didn't realize it. Right? Moses doesn't realize. Now there's a beautiful scripture in Numbers that kind of paints this, this accurate image or picture of who Moses was, right? The scripture, now, now get this, I want you to get this. Moses is writing this, God is authoring this. We have to believe that, right? That's what we believe. That's what we believe that is correct. That's what I believe. In Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, the scripture says, Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Now if Moses were writing that or authoring that, that'd be kind of funny, wouldn't it? Moses said, I'm so humble. I'm very humble. Right? Right? I worked with a guy named Arlen Mink down in Akabono. And I remember, and I told some of you guys this story, Arlen was a different cat, man. And I remember we walked into the bathroom, we were washing our hands one day, and he said, Trent, you know what? I said, what, Arlen Mink? He said, I'm, I'm probably the most humble guy you'll ever meet. He said that to me. And I, I sit there and thought to myself, probably not. <laughs> probably not. So, so Moses isn't having an Arlen Mink moment here. As a matter of fact, in the Hebrew, this is so beautiful. In the Hebrew, onav literally means afflicted or brought low. God was saying no one's been brought lower then Moses has been brought lower. No one has been afflicted like he's been afflicted. You live with those cats for 40 years, and you tell me if you've been brought low. But you know what the scripture says? He who humbles himself will be exalted. Know what the scripture says? Now, I want you to get this. How do you continue to be exalted? You continue to be Brought low. Exalted isn't a state or a place to, to live in. I want, a, I want a posture in my spirit and in my heart that gives God liberty to honor his word and to exalt me. Okay? The only way that happens is a reoccurring reality of humility by being brought low. So I may be exalted for a season. But I can't stay there in my own doing. Because the scripture also says, he who exalts himself, he will be humbled, right? So what I want, I want to be brought low. I want to be brought low. And if God exalts me, I want to say to God, I want to be brought low again. Why? Because I want to be exalted again if he sees fit to do such a thing. And if I'm exalted again, I want to be brought low again. It is a reoccurring thing. It is winning the region, then losing in the state. To what? To be humble, to be exalted again. Don't be shocked if you find yourself exalted again. But many times as followers of Jesus, we don't even understand that. We think, man, God is wanting to lift us up and to exalt us and leave us on his high place. Or which God has no means to honor his word. How does he exalt the exalted? And stay true to his word. We create an atmosphere by which God's hands are bound and tied. But oh, when we're exalted, 
And if we say to God, take me low, then the hands of God are liberated in our lives to once again recognize the low, afflicted posture we've taken. And it gives him that avenue, that conduit by which to express his word truthfully and then he can exalt us. Right? And no one wants to be made humble against their will. But he loves you enough that he will do it. But you need to learn, right? Listen to what the scripture says. Listen to what the scripture says. But he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. Is Carrie Evans up here? I don't want to embarrass her. Well, you know I would. Listen, I'm going to tell you a little story. And some of you have been with her. And this is absolutely true. This happens. It happens all the time. And it's borderline annoying. I'm not kidding you. I'm not kidding you. If she starts to come up, Clark, Clark is my son, wave me and I'll cut this story short. And then we'll delete the podcast. Okay, listen, this happens all the time. I call Carrie the Pied Piper of kids. And I want to tell you why I call her that. Some of you have been out with her. I'm telling you, kids see something in her. I'm telling you, strange kids in strange places gravitate towards her. In a way, oh, there she is. <laughs> there she just walked in. You know what? You know, it is what it is. I'm telling the story. These kids just gravitate towards her like she's the Pied Piper. I've seen it a hundred times. Many of you have been with her in venues and you watched it happen. It's a radiance. I believe it's the Spirit of God that's honoring such a fashion. It just draws the innocent. Listen, we were at a movie one time. We were at a movie one time, and this little kid was right behind us. And I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm trying to watch. I don't know. It might have been Superman. I don't know what we're watching. We're sitting watching this little movie. This little kid's wanting to engage with Carrie. Her mom's sitting right there. And all of a sudden, this little kid says to Carrie, we don't know this kid. This little kid says, I love you. <laughs> you remember this, Carrie? You remember this? And Carrie said, oh, I love you too. Kind of and I look at Carrie, and I'm like, I love you. I love you. It's the radiance. It's the radiance. It's the radiance. And the radiance is born on a man who's been brought low. Oh, to be brought low should be the desire of our hearts that we might possess the radiance of God, even unbeknownst to us, when we start to draw and attract people to us. As opposed to repel people and drive them from us. Right? Right? And the scripture says, and Moses, he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. Now we're really closing. <laughs> we did a pre-close, now close. All right, Exodus 34, verse 33, there, God. says, when Mo Moses, Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil. Until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face after he had told them, right? He put the veil over until he went to speak with the Lord. Now, let me say this, impart this to you. Wouldn't it be a beautiful reality if you and I would speak in the radiance of God and when we have spoken the thing that God has commanded us to speak, we would just cover things back up. Zip it. You know what I'm talking about? Wouldn't it be a beautiful thing that if in our lives, in our lives, we could manage through the power of the Spirit to bridle the tongue, to speak only the things that God would have us speak until we found ourselves uncovered once again in the company of God for him to impart to us some type of knowledge, some type of word. Then we would speak the word that God has given us and upon speaking that word, we would then silence ourselves. 
Wouldn't that be a beautiful thing? Isn't that what Paul was saying in Ephesians chapter 4, right, verse 29? Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. You think when he was giving them the commands of God that he wasn't building them up? Are you building up people? Are you building up people? He says this, he says this, according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Husband, are you building up your wife according to her needs? Wife, are you, listen, listen to me. We're a church basically, for the most part, consisting of a lot of young married couples. And when I say young, I mean younger than Moses. Right? Right? But those aren't the only relationships we have. But that is a God-ordained relationship. God has declared this to be the case. A husband and a wife. The home. You should be. There is no default on this. There's no excuse. You have no excuse, Dad. You have no excuse, Mom, not to be the champion of your spouse's well-being, spiritually speaking. You shouldn't rely on Trent to come and speak life into your wife. You need to be speaking life. You need to be the one. Do you, do you get this? Wives can't be coming and speaking, or Carrie can't be coming to speak words into your husband's life. You should be that person. There should be no one in your life championing the cause of God like your spouse. No one. Then the Apostle Paul says something really beautiful. He says this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 2 verse 4. And, and I ask you to give me a little liberty here, right, as I kind of paraphrase this, right? My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. You know what Paul was saying? I didn't come to you with fancy words, but I come to you in the radiance of the Spirit. That's what he's saying, man. I came to you with the Spirit rested on me in a demonstration of God's power. Why? So that you might not rest, what? In the persuasive words of a man, but your, your confidence would be in the power of God, the radiance of God. Right? Right? If you talk people into things, the enemy is much wiser and slicker, then he'll talk them right out of it. But if you bring the radiance of God and the power of the Spirit, and you deliver the truth of God into the lives of the broken and the hurting, and you do it through a demonstration of the radiance and the power of God, that is a persuasion that can't, not, that can't be turned back. The enemy is not that crafty. The persuasion of God, the radiance of God, that's what you and I need to be carrying, right? Okay. This is what he says. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. Okay, let's, let's, we're going to close with this thought. Let's kind of, let's gather this in my mind. Many of us are living veiled lives when we need to be living unveiled lives. And then many of us are living unveiled lives when we need to be veiled. Do you get that? You with me? You hear me? You hear what I'm saying? Many of us are veiled or unveiled before men and exposed. And then in the company of God, we're veiled where the power should be coming from. The redeeming, rescuing efforts of God were veiled, we're hiding. It's this crazy game of spiritual hide and seek. I remember as a kid, the youngest of 13, Shopner Street. You remember, Buffy, we'd, we'd go, we'd, we'd play hide and seek. And we hid in places no kid should have been hiding in, right? <laughs> I mean, we, and there'd be, there'd be one kid, one of us, counting to 20 or 25. And man, we would go hide. We'd hide in trees, behind bushes, in cars, under cars. We hide everywhere. But the weird thing about it as a kid, and I, I knew this to be true, 
I could hear the counting, Miss Kathy. I could hear it. And I would hide, man. And Doug, I wanted to hide good. But you know what I didn't want? I didn't want to be forgotten about. I didn't want to not be found. And as that time began to expire and you begin to hear the other kids running around out there and you begin, you begin to know that they were being discovered, and then all of a sudden you get quiet and you're still in your hiding spot. And there was something in you that wanted to be found. And after a little while, man, after hiding there, it was so, you were so well hidden, the desire to be found would push you out of the hiding place. And all of a sudden, you'd start looking out under the auspice of still wanting to be hid, but you knew you didn't. Then you'd expose yourself a little more. And then the question that you'd always ask is, is anybody looking? Is anybody still looking? Is anybody still looking? My son and my daughter, when they were little kids and we would hide in the house, Doug, they would hide behind a chair. My granddaughter does it now. And I'll walk in and Carrie will say, Papa said, Ivy's hiding. And I'll go look at, oh, she's not really hiding. Oh, she wants to be found. She's looking up over the chair. You know why? It's, it's a scary thing to be lost. It's a scary thing to be hidden. And we find ourselves constantly veiled to God. Hiding from the one in which we need to be found the most. Why? Why? At the end of the day, you're going to be by yourself? You're going to be lost out there? You're going to remain hidden? And there's going to come a time we'll stand before a Father in heaven. And we're going to say, Lord, could you not find me? Oh, I found you. I saw you. I called to you. And you remained hidden. You remained hidden. And I wanted to bring you out of the hiding. Your hiding place. And I wanted you to be found. He is the great seeker of the great hiders. And today he seeks, even now. It's the great rescue mission that the king has come to accomplish, right? He knocks, he stands there. Are you hiding in there? Open up and be found. <laughs> Open up and be found, man. Open up and be found. This is what we're going to do this morning. Some of you are surprised that this tissue held together. Last week's joke. But what we're going to do this morning is we're going to take communion. Miss Terry and, and Ben are going to come and they're going to get the elements ready. And you guys know how this works, right? We start on the outside, front row, we go to the center. And then the front rows here, we go around, we come down the center, you go back to your seat, you hold the elements, we'll take communion collectively as a group. And I say this to my, to my brothers who are here and to others who are here, listen, you don't have to be a part of TDC to take communion. Man, what are you talking about? Right? If you're in Jesus, then this is for you. This is for you. It doesn't make any difference. And what we're going to do is we're going to come and we're going to take the elements and we're going to go back to our seats. But some of you are going to make a choice this morning. Some of you are going to make a choice to hide no longer, right? And some of you are going to find a place. You just want to do some, 
talking with the great seeker. And now you talk about Brandon Seeker. I'm talking about the great seeker of heaven. It's time to come out of the hiding place. Some of you haven't always hidden. There were times you desired to be found and you were found and for whatever reason you've drawn back from God and you have found yourself hiding again. Why? Why? All that can be resolved this morning. So I want to ask you guys if you'll stand with me. Listen, no judgment upon any of you. If you're a believer and follower of Jesus, these elements are for you. Communion is for you. And so I'm going to pray, and then we're going to start on the outside, and when the outsides are done, then Kevin, you can lead the first group, Chase, you can lead the group, and then we'll rolls back and we'll circle around. If there's any confusion, someone will help, right? So let's, let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we have, we have navigated your word. We have tried to identify the obvious. We have tried to share it to the increase of your sons and daughters without a desire to impair, impair an individual's ability to respond to your word this morning. And so, Father, as we come to take these elements that represent your gift in your Son, our King, I pray, Father, that we would enter into that place in our spirit right now, that we would be in, in a conversation with you, and that we would bring our hearts and our minds in compliance with your standard. And your standard is found in Jesus and no other. So, Father, I pray this morning that you would begin to speak into the hearts of every person here, each individual here, that you would minister to them. Through the power of your spirit. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. We ask this. Bless them Lord as they come. In Jesus name. Amen.